Welcome to the original Pirate Material podcast, based on the incredible true life story of Captain Tons. My name's Darren, and in each episode, James and I will be chatting to Tons about his extraordinary exploits and sharing his unique insights about life at sea. What is it like being a pirate? How do you become a pirate? Being a pirate is, um, I think it's inherent. It, it, you're born with it or you're not born with it. It's um, very, very difficult to describe. And perhaps I, I should tell you that um, I've met a lot of pirates uh, around the world. Uh, my experience with each group of pirates, for example, the Sulu pirates between Malaysia and the Philippines, the Taiwanese pirates, the Yemeni pirates, and, and more recently, people will have heard of the Somali pirates. Each group of these pirates has a different reason for being. The Sulu pirates have been pirates for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're basically sea gypsies who live their entire lives on the sea. The Somali pirates at the other end of what I've just said are recent and they have a different reason for being. I myself, I'm a European pirate and my teachers were from Gotland in the Baltic. So to be a pirate from my own account is something that happened when I was about 13 or 14 years of age when I decided to run away to sea. You know, I could have <laughs> I could have run away to all kinds of places, but it was the sea. I had to go to the sea. It was a, a kind of a calling. And I think that um, most pirates started their pirate life with this calling. I joined a, a large ship bound for Australia and New Zealand, and uh, my job was washing the dishes. And uh, eventually I was called upon by uh, a Swedish pirate who had heard of my exploits, who had heard of the new crafts that I had obtained and decided that he wanted me on board his ship. I joined his ship and it took many months before I realized that uh, my new captain was in fact a pirate. This excited me. I couldn't sleep for weeks knowing this. I spent 12 hours a day from midnight till six o'clock in the morning, from lunchtime till six o'clock in the evening together with this wonderful captain. I ended up worshipping the, the man and, and learning from him. And he enjoyed teaching me because he had never had a student so enthusiastic. The extraordinary thing about you is you tell us these stories, but you don't necessarily realise how unusual some of the things you're saying are. So, for example, you said that you ran away to the sea when you were 13, okay? I know what I was doing when I was 13, and the only place I was thinking of running was maybe to the sweet shop, if my parents allowed me. What was it about the sea that called you at that age, and how was it you were able to join at that age? And, I guess, for any would-be pirates, and parents who would-be pirates, is that a normal age to decide to join? Um, it was in my mind at 13 that I wanted to run away to sea, of course, I was too young. So from 13 until 14 and a half, I programmed myself to, uh, to run away at the first possible legal and uh, other you know, opportunity. 
and I ended up at sea school in Avonmouth. They refused me at first because I was half an inch too short. And uh, I, of course, I went to the doctor and I did everything to try and gain this half an inch in desperation. Uh, I couldn't do it. And the doctor wrote a letter to them saying, look, you'll never have uh, such an enthusiastic person to train. Forget the half an inch. And eventually they did forget the half an inch. And at 15, I was in the sea school. And 10 weeks later, I was in a ship bound for New Zealand. When you said you did everything to try and gain half an inch, can you actually explain some of the things you did? Because you did some mad things just to try and get a bit taller, which really shows how desperate you were. Well, I did more, more or less everything. Um, uh, I started eating a lot of uh, cheese, which I hated because somebody said cheese would make you grow. Um, I, I, I you know, put my feet over the end of the bed, sometimes with a brick on the end. I couldn't sleep all night, but in the hope, I was really totally exasperated. I, I would try anything at all to get this half an inch. And I became desperate because it just wouldn't arrive. You know, it's only half an inch, but it just wouldn't arrive. And I went to the doctor, I think, every four or five days. Could you measure me, please? And he said, I'm sorry, sunshine. But, you know, there's nothing we can do. I asked him, is there any pills, is anything? And I must have, well, I must have broken his balls so much that he wrote a letter to the training school, to the C-school, saying, please take this kid, you know, you need to take him. And, uh, and they eventually did. Well, a, a strange thing that, that you know, it's came to my, I was speaking to my brother uh, about this to try and remember things. And when I was 13, 13, 13 and a half, I spent all my money. I, I would be, uh, I never went to school. I went to work. I was a caddy. I was in an ice cream van, um, trying to get money together. And I, I suddenly decided to build a boat. I bought all this wood in the back garden and I built this boat. It was only a rowing boat. But and people were saying, we live in Oxy, Watford. We're a long way from the sea or the lakes. Why are you building a boat? I said, I have to build a boat. And so it was obviously in me at 13 that, that I needed to get away. I didn't have a very happy childhood. Both my brother and myself, we both ran away from home eventually. My brother ran away to a farm. But for me, I had to go onto the sea. It was the sea. And I don't know why, really. So you're on sea, finally. How different was it to what you initially expected it would be like? My, my job uh, was called, in those days, they called deck boy, was called a Peggy. And the Peggy's job was to look after the crew, serve the crew their dinner, wash the plates, and keep the crew room tidy. And then after that, go on deck and learn what it's like to be a seaman. You know, learn splicing ropes and, and learn all the uh, attributes of a seaman. And I, uh, I was washing dishes, which uh, I never expected, but I loved it. I loved whatever they asked me to do. I did it immediately. I learned how to do everything very, very quickly because I loved it. The movement of the ship, above all, I think, you get to a storm and, and one or two people, regardless of how old they are, how long they've been at sea, sometimes because they've eaten the wrong stuff or drunk something, they, they get seasick. I was never seasick. I loved it. The more the ship moved, the better it was for me. And when you said you learned quickly, 
that wasn't always through ease, was it? Sometimes that was learning quickly the hard way because of the lessons you were being taught from others if you didn't get it right. Oh, absolutely. If there was a, a, a thumbprint on the plate, then, you know, uh, there's 30 crewmen and one of them is going to hit you. And, and when I say hit, not a tap, it's going to give you a bruise because there was a, a small thumbprint on the plate. So everything you did had to be really spot on. At the, at the start of this, you, you said there are different types of pirates, and you said you're a European pirate, but you're also, as we know, a Peyron pirate. People may not know what that is or what that means, and also what that means to you. Peyron pirate is somebody who adheres to piracy that started some uh, 2,500 years ago, before Jesus Christ, by uh, a guy in, in Greece called Solon. He was a great sage who brought together sea robbers and adventurers and explorers and all kinds of diverse people on the sea and formed them into an association that he called the Piran. And the word Piran is the Greek root word for the word pirata or present day pirate. And so you become a pirate, you have to adhere to something. And, and, and I found that history of who I am and what I'm part of as most endearing. At first, I have to admit, while I was being taught this, I, I didn't care too much. I wanted to know about navigation. I wanted to know about sea whispering. I wanted to know about all the magic parts of sea. I wasn't really interested in who I am, the whys and the history. But uh, my teacher told me, one day you will. So I'm going to tell you now. And strangely enough, after about 40, 50 years, he's been proved right. Yes, I need to know this history. And I'm ready to teach other people this history because it is a beautiful and wonderful history. And unfortunately, people today, they, they believe piracy started with Treasure Island and ended with Johnny Depp. But in fact, those 200 years which are called the golden age of piracy, represent just a tiny, tiny fraction of the history which started 4,000 years ago and is ongoing even today. And why is it that you think that people don't know the full history? And how does that make you feel when you hear people talk about pirates or say things about pirates that you know to be inaccurate? I've had a lot of problem with this, Darren. What I was seeing in pirate films and pirate books and, and these so-called historians who know everything about piracy, it concentrated on this hundred-year history of, of Blackbeard and, and all the bad guys. In any group of people, you're going to have bad guys. You're going to have bad cops. You're going to have bad doctors. You're going to have bad politicians. Well, lots of bad politicians. And there's always good and bad. Well, the same in piracy. You've got bad guys, good guys. But everything seems to concentrate on the bad guys and all the bad things they did and portray this as uh, all pirates are like this, when in fact they weren't. And eventually, after being disappointed with uh, not not being able to break through into the consultancy of, of films. I gave up. I gave it up, uh, you know, for years. I, I said, well, I'll keep my mouth shut, forget it. You know, people don't want to know, never mind. Until, of course, a guy came, came along and he wrote a book. And this book was Be More Pirate. And by pure total chance, 
he was on Sky Television. And at that particular day, I was in the garden cutting the grass. And I came in for a cup of coffee and a smoke and the television was on. And at that moment, there was this guy, Sam Conniff, who was explained to Sky News to be more pirate. And, and I suddenly froze. All my entire history of being a pirate all came together and I was frozen in front of the television, listening to this guy, what he said. Now, how can it be that this guy is openly saying on Sky News all the things that for years I've tried to say and nobody listened? So immediately I got in touch with him. By getting in touch with Sam Conniff, I decided to reopen everything again. And, and that's really the basic um, reason why I'm here with you today. Well, I guess it's the reason why we're all here. Like Sam connects all of us. You know, I used to work for Sam and then I read his book. And because I read his book, I went to a launch party on a pirate ship, which was where I met you. And unbeknownst to me, I believe James was also on the same ship. Yeah, yeah, because mine was the same. I read the book. I was working in an agency at the time, read the book, went, this is everything I've ever thought. And never quite knew how to explain it, the mindset. Not that I had the pirate on the level of you, but the mindset. Read that book, helped solidify it. And then, yeah, same thing. I was on the boat that night, met you, Tones was like, oh, wow. And you explained more to me and taught me more. And one of the things you said to me, which you kind of alluded to a bit there, was that being a pirate isn't about attacking ships killing people and stealing? Uh, it's a misconception that has been good for filmmakers since Errol Flynn, uh, for writers since Stevenson and Treasure Island. This misconception has become a norm. And you just have to apply some logic to it. That uh, if you've got 60 or 80 guys on a pirate ship and they attack a ship, they're, they're going to lose five or six guys. They then attack another ship, and they're going to lose another five or six guys. So by the time they've attacked three ships, their crew is down to a bare minimum, and they, they really couldn't exist anymore. So if they go to attack, there has to be a reason, and they have to attack in such a way that they're not going to lose anybody. No one's going to get injured, and they're going to win. So every time you see a film when pirates attack a ship, it's really all wrong. It doesn't happen like that. You can't pull into a port and say, oh, we need another five crew members. You're at sea. It's not going to happen. Most of the people who write about the history of pirates, they do so from a nice warm office, and most of them have never even been to sea. This life on sea with this group of people, can you give us a sense of what it feels like to be part of that community? Because when you talk about it, it feels like it's a community. It's a world within itself. It's its own little universe. It's a kind of drug, Darren. It's like um, adrenaline. As soon as something happens that's impossible or difficult, that's when the pirate comes alive mentally and physically because uh, it's a challenge. It's impossible for a pirate to back down from a challenge and that's an inherent part of it. And because all the pirates on board all have this same sense, they all come together, each one doing their particular job on board, but in, in such a team way that it's automatic whether it's uh, 500 years ago on a, on a sailing ship or today on a, on a coaster or whatever, 
It's the same coming together of the crew in this challenge. What's one thing that you would like people to know about pirate life that they don't know or they don't understand? There was um, an admiral who, who wrote an account in Greenwich. I've tried to look it up and I'm going through the books to find it. And he opens his book by saying, the maritime history of the world was written by pirates. And that, that is a fact. Pirates, they come across a, a new land. They, they don't put a flag in it and say, I'm going to claim this new land for my king, queen or religion. They say, oh, it's a great new land, and they use it, and they keep quiet about it and sail off and find another new land. The fact they found it, the word gets back, and all the other explorer, explorers, being Portuguese, be the Spanish, English, Dutch, whatever, followed the pirates. And when the Admiral writes the maritime history of the world was written by pirates, that is what he means. He means that they were the first to find this place and everybody else followed. That's that adventure. That's that challenge that you said. It's going to those lands that no one knows what's there. What was the, what was the thing that Sam, I think, says in the book about here be dragons? Yeah, it's, it's about adventure, of course. But it's, it's more than that. It's about um, obtaining knowledge and exploration. Exploration is a fact of learning, isn't it? A student goes to the university and he is exploring knowledge. And exploration, physical exploration on a ship is, is about that. It's, it's a, a search for the reason for being, which pirates believe has to do with the sea. And their knowledge of the sea is by far and wide, more deep than any university, than any government or any navy. They are actually physically in touch with the sea. Why the sea? What is it? And I know this is your ongoing expression. What is it about the sea that just calls so many people? Look, in a, in a litre of seawater, there are about two and a half to three billion microbes. And they're all different. They're all going about their little microbe work, doing their microbe things. So people don't realize you, you jump in the sea, you get walk out the sea on, on the beach and you're dripping wet. On your body, in those droplets of water, are billions and millions of little microbes that you can't see. Putting them all together, it makes the sea alive. It makes the sea not just a lump of water, it's actually alive. And this aliveness feeds into all the creatures in the sea, be they tiny fish, be they bigger fish, be they dolphins or turtles, they are all connected together somehow. We are of the land, yet we can connect to the sea through these animals through the dolphins, through the turtles, through a fish, we can connect back to the sea. And this ability to connect to the sea, to understand the sea, will eventually lead somebody like myself, but I'm only one of thousands of others, even people who can't even read and write, have this ability to connect to the sea, to speak to the sea, to listen to the sea, and have a conversation with the sea. And that is why... None of them. I've never met one 
who's ever been afraid of the sea. Something else that we're going to come back to over the course of the podcast series is one particular adventure that you went on. That every time I think about it, every time I tell someone else about it, they don't believe me. And then I have to pull out a map that you gave me that shows the journey that you went on. And then they're even more sort of incredulous as to what what it is that they've just heard. Can you explain how it is that you came to even consider sailing a humber barge from Hull to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia in the 1970s? Well, in the 1970s, I, I had set up my own, my own pirate business and I was basically trading the North Sea and my speciality were barges and humber barges in particular. And I was taking these uh, humber barges all over the place. I took 11 to London, uh, which became houseboats. I took six or seven to Antwerp, Holland, and I took, uh, I took them even to Edinburgh in Scotland. I, uh, I was known at the time as the barge man. And then one day a telephone call comes through and pirates, when I asked, could you do this job? Well, automatically say yes, because as soon as you say yes, you know the guy has called you because he's called everybody else and it can't be done. <laughs> so uh, in, in desperation, the, the guy is going to call a pirate. He doesn't want to. He doesn't really not happy about it, um, but he calls you. And so you know that as soon as the phone rings, the guy has a problem. The first thing you say is, yes, we can do that. And of course, then the guy's yours. He's all yours now because you're the first person to say yes. You say yes, even before knowing what the job is and what it entails, because, you know, you've you got to hook the customer in. Well, yeah, it looked on paper quite an easy job because we could take the barge from Hull. We could take it through the French canal system into the Mediterranean. And then, you know, it was like child's play to get it together. Unfortunately, that year, there was drought in France and two of the canals were closed because of lack of water. We didn't you know, plan on that. And so uh, we took a, a secondary route, which ended up being closed to us because the, the locks on that particular canal were just half an inch too small. We couldn't get in them. So there's only one choice left, and that is to go by sea. You've been listening to original pirate material produced by Dare Pictures and Picaroons. If you like this podcast, please do go leave us a review, share with a friend, or get in contact with us at piratematerial.co.uk. Here's a taste of what's to come. If you saw a scene of it, it would be terrifying. But there were moments when we could actually light up a cigarette with a lighter in the middle of this storm.